Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Maura Murray disappeared on Monday, February 9th, 2004. When a person disappears without a trace, often the most critical information is hidden in their actions and words from the days before they vanished. Maura Murray's last known whereabouts may hold the clues to what happened to her. I thought everything was okay. Maura Murray is a 21-year-old college student. It seems like she has everything going for her. They were talking of getting married. She was on the dean's list. But the mysterious events surrounding the days before her disappearance puzzle those who know and love her. I don't have the slightest idea what was in her mind. She leaves her dorm room in Massachusetts and drives to the next state. Nobody knows where she is headed. I don't know why she came to New Hampshire. I don't know. I'd be guessing the same with everybody else. When her car veers off this dark and windy highway, she seems to disappear into thin air. Armara is gone. It was like a nightmare. It's Saturday morning, February 7th, 2004. Fred Murray is driving to pick his daughter Maura up from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Little does he know that in only three days, she will disappear. When Maura got to UMass, I'd go up there oh, once a month or so. In fact, the weekend, uh, the last weekend I saw her, I was up in, at UMass and we went searching to find a car. So get her a car, you know, to, to go to do her nursing clinical trips and stuff like that. 21-year-old Maura Murray has juggled a busy college schedule running track and cross-country and working two part-time jobs. Besides studying, she must do work for her nursing degree that requires long drives from campus. Now, Maura had a car with her 
in Amherst, but the car was, was falling apart. It was really time for her to get a new car. Mora's rundown car will figure prominently in her disappearance three days later. And we had one picked out, and we're going to go up the next weekend and, uh, and get it. But that didn't happen. It would have been safe. I wish I had bought it that weekend. According to Fred Murray and Mara's friends at the time at UMass, it seemed to be a pretty normal weekend. Her father was visiting. Everything seemed fine. And that night in uh, Amherst, we went to uh, the Amherst brew pub and had supper. Whenever we went to some place, especially uh, if it's a, a college town or something like that, if we could find a brew pub, um, we would go to it, you know? But the events of that weekend would create a mystery even her closest friends can't explain. Mara and I grew up in a small town called Hanson, Massachusetts. We had a tight group of friends and we stayed close all the way through high school and into college and always stayed in touch. There was seven of us that were always together. If something was really bothering Mara, she definitely would have come out and one way or another other hinted at something was wrong. The last time we hung out with Mara, everything seemed totally normal. We didn't notice anything different with her. Mara's life seems to be on the right track, both at school and with her family. Her friends know Mora is particularly close to her father. The first basketball team Mara and I played on, our dads were both coaches. Mara and her dad were very close growing up. She lived with her mom, but her dad was here picking her up for practices, bringing her to games. Her parents divorced when she was six years old, and um, she remained living with her mother, but she maintained a very close relationship with her father. It seemed like the last weekend Mar and her dad had spent together was pretty typical of their relationship. After enjoying their brew house dinner that Saturday night, Fred lets Mora borrow his new car. She drops him off at his motel, then the weekend takes a sudden and unexpected turn. Sunday morning, uh, Mara woke me up. She, uh, she had come back, you know, during the night and uh, told me that she had had an accident in my car. She was involved in an accident in Hadley, Mass, where she went off the road and struck a set of guardrails. She was driving her father's new car at the time and did about $10,000 worth of, of damage. Well, Mara was upset. And uh, it haunts me, but, uh, you know, she, I think she felt she uh, let her father down. At 4.49 a.m. Sunday morning, a distraught Mora calls her long-distance boyfriend, Billy Roush, who is stationed in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Billy later shares the conversation with his mother, Sharon. So she calls Billy, and he talked with her, and he calmed her down. And then he promised her that he would call her back later in the day. Mora and Billy have been dating since 2001. They met while both were attending West Point. From the moment I met her, I knew that she loved my son. You know, and, of course, that endeared her to me. When Mora decided to transfer from West Point to UMass, Billy and Mora continued their relationship, spending many holidays and summers with Billy's family. By the time that um, she was here over the holidays uh, in 2003 and early 2004, they shared that, you know, they were talking of getting married. I think Mara looked at Sharon as if she was a second mom. She always went out there and 
we knew that she was excited to go. To describe Mara as a challenge, um, I, I, won't, I don't want to say she's complex, but she was so multifaceted, you know? She could be serious, she could be so funny and witty. Um, she always had this little soft giggle, and she was very soft-spoken, but she was fun-loving. She loved life, she loved to laugh. The next day, when Fred Murray sees his daughter, she's still upset about the accident. I drove her back to the dorm. I could see she was still upset. I told her it would be all right. It was going to be covered. It would, it would be okay, you know? And she went into the dorm, and that's the last I ever saw of her, which will haunt me forever, ever. A few hours later, at 11.26 p.m., Mora speaks on the phone with her father one final time. Checked on my insurance. I called her back, said, uh, you know, we're okay. Uh, the insurance is, will be taken care of, so I'm not going to be out a lot of money. Um, I said, you're going to have to uh, make out accident reports, probably in triplicate. So get the three forms from the police station or wherever you have to get them and uh, call me tomorrow night, you know, uh, eight, 8 o'clock. But Mora's call to her father will never take place and her actions will surprise everyone who knows her. There was no death in the family. She did, she did lie. In the weekend before she goes missing, UMass nursing student Maura Murray has been in an accident after borrowing her dad's car. But her father thinks that crisis is past. The car would get fixed and my insurance would cover it. And so Maura's all right. So I figured if this is the most trouble this kid ever causes me in 21 years, then I am lucky. I'm a lucky guy. But what Maura does later that night she doesn't share with her father or any of her friends. We had an opportunity to, to look at some of the files on her computer. She had looked at some sites uh, specific to rental properties in the White Mountains region of New Hampshire. Um, she finished up working on her computer at about 4 a.m. Mora continues her online search the next day. It appears she got back on her computer on the afternoon of the night, and during the course of a couple hours, searched several sites to include getting directions from Amherst, Mass, to the Burlington, Vermont area. Here, she was looking for different directions up to New Hampshire, and I think onto Burlington, Vermont. I mean, it would seem a little strange, um, especially since classes had just started. No one knows what Mora was planning the day before she disappears, but her last cell phone calls leave clues. We have Mara's cell phone records because her cell phone was uh, an additional line to Billy's cell phone. So, you know, Billy not only gave her a phone for Christmas, he paid the monthly bill. When his bill came, then, you know, we automatically saw all the calls that she made. At 12.55 p.m. Monday, February 9th, 2004, Mora calls the owner of a Bartlett, New Hampshire condo rental. Her father recognizes the town. It's a place Mora knew well. She was going to Bartlett. There's no question. She was going to Bartlett, 
And that's what she knows, she's familiar with. She stayed in every place in Bartlett. She can get a room there. And, she, and even if she can't, she knows other places. Mara has been coming up here since she was born. Mara grew up every summer and parts of winters and springs and falls going all up through New Hampshire. She's hiked so many of those mountains up there with her dad. They wanted to do the highest mountains as best they could, and she loved hiking. Mora's friends know her to be very athletic, excelling at many sports. Mara played just about every sport possible growing up. Mara and I were always on the same teams, and we were captains of the cross-country team senior year. But she was always the one leading the pack and winning most of just about all of the races and including doing top finishes in the state. She was recruited to West Point for her running abilities. After transferring from West Point, she attended the University of Massachusetts Amherst, where she ran track and cross country. Back at her dorm room that February afternoon, just hours before her disappearance, Morris sends an email to her boyfriend. He did receive an email from her that day, um, around 1 or 1.30, and in that email, she told him that she loved him and that she was sorry she hadn't returned his messages from the day before. She hadn't felt like talking to much of anyone. Whatever Mora's state of mind is, she makes a number of phone calls that afternoon. Mara made another phone call to 1-800-GO-STO, which is a reservation phone line for hotels in the Stowe, Vermont area. But research shows that at the time that Mara called, the line was actually out of order. So Mara could listen to listings for different hotels, but she could not actually make a reservation on this line. But that just shows that Mara, again, was looking for a place to stay in the Vermont, New Hampshire area. Then, 13 minutes after phoning the Go Stowe hotline, Mara calls her boyfriend but gets his voicemail. She didn't say much other than promising to call him. Sorry, she missed him. Mora hasn't told anyone she's thinking about leaving town. She finally shares her plans, but it's not with anybody close to her. Mara had sent an email to her nursing professors. I, I don't know word for word, but in it, she told them that she needed to be away for a week due to a death in the family. Her friends know there has been no death in Mora's family. We thought it was a little bizarre um, when we first heard that Mara um, had sent an email to professors saying, there's a death in the family, I have to take off for a week. Not really like her, but if something was going on, she did need to get away, then kind of explains it. Why she didn't call one of us, I don't know. I mean, maybe we could have helped her out, figured something out together. She did lie, but, you know, Mara was not a liar. Around 3.30, we assume, Mara got into her car at UMass Amherst and left the campus. Her first stop was to an ATM machine, where she withdrew $280. That pretty much depleted Mara's account um, with that bank. Mara then stopped at a local liquor store. At the liquor store, Mara bought a bottle of Kahlua, a bottle of Baileys, a bottle of, of vodka, and a box of red wine. Mora's stop to the liquor store is known because the receipt of what she purchases is later found in her wrecked car. Kahlua 
Bailey's and Vodka are known for making a white Russian. No one understands why Mara bought such a large quantity of alcohol for um, if she was traveling alone. There was surveillance camera at the ATM, so uh, we could see still photographs where she walked up to the ATM, withdrew the money, and uh, there didn't appear to be anybody in the background or, or anywhere that we could see from the camera photos. It's 4.37 p.m., and phone records show Mora checks her voicemail. This is the last known call from Mora's cell phone. Presumably, at this point in the afternoon, she's now driving towards New Hampshire. She had an extremely adventurous sense of uh, spirit. When we first heard that Mara had taken off and gone up to New Hampshire, it seemed a little odd to us, but not totally because I remember a day in high school that she decided she just wanted to go off and do something different, so she hopped on the train herself, went to Boston, didn't necessarily tell us, but by the end of the day, she was back after all of us had been spending the whole day trying to track her down. The next day, Maura's father will hear the worst news of his life. Your daughter's missing, she's in an accident. The police don't seem to know where she is. It's Monday afternoon, February 9th, 2004. Momentarily, this 21-year-old nursing student will go missing. It seems she's planning a getaway, but connecting the clues is complicated. As to why Morrow left, I, I don't know. In my position as father, you would think that maybe um, there would have been something said, or, or, but I have no hint. I thought everything was okay. You know? Some think perhaps Mora is not doing well at school, and that's why she's leaving. I wasn't aware of any, any stuff like school troubles. She was on the dean's list in a very difficult program, a nursing program. Hard to get in, hard to do well in. When it came to academics, she was always very serious and one of the top members of our class by the time we all graduated. The recipients this year are the five top-ranking students in the senior class. The awards are $400 to Maura Murray. I think everybody felt that she was doing okay at school, but there also um, were some issues, I think, that were causing her great stress um, in her private life. Around 5 p.m., Monday, February 9th, this Dean's List student is on the road, driving a rundown car hours away from her dorm, without telling anybody where she is going. I knew she was having car trouble. We had uh, gotten her a AAA membership with the long distance towing because we were concerned about her. It was pretty cold. The road was slippery. Fred Murray is tracing his daughter's last known steps. She went west on, I would say, what is it, 116 into Route 91, which we're on now. She's driving away from her UMass Amherst dorm towards New Hampshire. She's going to take this right down until she finds 112 East. This is what she was looking for. I wish she had gone straight. And after traveling over 140 miles... Mari is not familiar with this area. Around 7.30 p.m., her car veers off the road. Mara came around the corner, and so the car wasn't running properly. 
it impacted right down here. There was a big snowbank here. It, it's so dark here. You, you, if you're looking in this direction, you can't see uh, your hand in front of your face. This is Mora's second car accident in three days. A school bus driver stops to help her. I just asked her how she was. She said she was shaken up. I couldn't see any blood on her face. And she was uh, shaking like this. I says, uh, okay, I'm going to go call the police. What the bus driver told us, um, she didn't appear to be hurt. He offered to call the police um, for, for assistance, and she really asked him not to. She, she said that she had um, called AAA, but it being in the location of the mountains, he also knew that there was no cell phone coverage there. So he was quite convinced that she hadn't been able to make that call. So he went home, which was a short distance down the road, and, and called the local police department. Around 10 minutes later, at 7.45 p.m., police arrive at the accident scene, looking for any trace of the driver. The police officer at the scene noticed that the windshield was broken in front of where the driver would be seated. The airbags had gone off. There was damage to the front end of the vehicle. When he got there, he found that there was nobody with the vehicle. In the blink of an eye, this vivacious, athletic young co-ed disappears. He noticed that there was a box of wine, like a five-liter box of wine, behind the driver's side seat. He could see that through the window. He noticed uh, in the snow what appeared to be something pink that had been poured into the, into the snow. Subsequently, when they removed the vehicle, he found a Coke bottle, and uh, it smelled like there had been an alcoholic beverage in that bottle. I spoke with the one witness that actually talked to Mara Murray that night at the accident scene. That witness says that Mara appeared a bit shook up, but she did not appear intoxicated. There didn't appear to be any evidence at the scene which would indicate anything other than she had left the scene under her own power. There wasn't any evidence of a struggle of any kind. The vehicle was locked. The police officer at the scene of the accident searches the surrounding area. Mora is nowhere to be found. Well, the initial accident investigation you know, led the police officers to believe that um, this was simply a case of someone who had been involved in a motor vehicle accident and did not wish to, at least initially that night, have contact with the police. The next day, police speak on the phone with Mora's family. As a result of those conversations, they then became concerned that um, Mara might be depressed. Her father described it, that she, she was depressed in having crashed his car on Saturday night. Fred Murray remembers receiving the shocking and mystifying news. The way I felt was just like the, the world just stopped. Your daughter's missing. She's in an accident. She's in the woods, way up and not in, in New Hampshire. The police don't seem to know where she is. I, 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 I couldn't, I wanted to get up here immediately. The next morning, Mora's boyfriend receives a strange voicemail message. The message basically... Uh, in and of itself was just uh, a woman breathing and then possibly a whimper or some sort of noise at the end, which we believe to be her.
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. I don't know why she came to New Hampshire. I don't know. You know, I'd be guessing the same with everybody else. It's Wednesday, February 11th, 2004. Fred Murray has just driven all night from his work in Bridgeport, Connecticut, after hearing his daughter's car has been abandoned far away from her dorm room, and she is nowhere to be found. I get up here at, at daybreak, you know, to join the search. Maura's mother, Lori, is living a mother's worst nightmare, She's unable to leave her home in Hanson, Massachusetts to join the search due to a fractured ankle. Eventually, uh, you know, the rest of my family showed up and uh, Bill Roush, uh, Mara's boyfriend, and his mother and father, uh, Bill and Sharon, uh, showed up. But during his trip from Fort Sill, Oklahoma to New Hampshire, Mara's boyfriend, Billy, receives a mysterious voice message on his cell phone 
Billy called frantic uh, around 7 um, a.m. on Wednesday morning. And he says, Mom, he said, while I was going through security, I missed a call. And he said, I'm sure it was Mara. The message basically uh, in and of itself was just uh, a woman breathing and then possibly a whimper or some sort of noise at the end, which we believe to be her. He said it, it, there was some, you know, really soft sobbing and shivering sounds and sniffing. And he said, I don't know what to do. He said, I called it back and it says it's a prepaid calling card. They have hope the call is from Mora, since Sharon knows Mora uses prepaid calling cards. Before Mara had her cell phone, she called Billy with prepaid calling card. And when Mara was here for Thanksgiving in 2003, I gave her two prepaid calling cards. And so that's always, you know, added to our belief that it's very likely that Mara made that very unusual call that Billy received that morning. Once in New Hampshire, the family frantically searches for Mora. So we found a place to stay locally, and we started setting up a kind of like a command central and uh, making a lot of calls and trying to get some flyers together. What we're doing is we're working from the crash site, working out, uh, and it's going to be encompassing about a half a mile radius to start. Um, again, we're looking for any sign, so had she gone into the woods, she had to have left some sign behind. We got the state police helicopter um, up there the first thing the next morning to do a search from the air. I also had our bloodhound um, that's assigned to the troop respond and uh, do a search of the ground. The state police brought a dog, and uh, the dog was given a glove, but it was, it was a brand new glove that Mara had just gotten for Christmas. But if they had asked me, I'd have given them something that she used all the time, like running gear or something like that. But I don't know, maybe she, maybe she did wear it, but it was pretty new. The dog followed the scent up to about here where the dog lost it. The abrupt loss of the scent over 100 feet away from the accident scene leads to speculation that Mora may have gotten into a passing vehicle. We did an intensive search of the crash scene area for evidence that she may have walked into the woods. Um, nothing like that was uncovered. Do police make mistakes? Do we miss things? Absolutely. We just want to make sure we're doing everything that we can to, to locate this missing girl and get her back to her family. Police question Mora's boyfriend and speak with his parents. After we arrived in Haverhill on, on Wednesday, um, Billy was questioned uh, extensively. They give us a press release. Mora is described as endangered and possibly suicidal. Well, in any press release, you, you want to let the public know, especially if you're looking for help. So you want to give those details so that someone who lives in the area or wherever will just be on the lookout for something out of the ordinary. Um, so that information was included in the early press releases that um, she might be depressed um, and she may have come up here to harm herself. So they, they proceed to tell us that there is no evidence of foul play. Mara is 21 years old. She is an adult. She has the right and the privilege to go uh, missing of her own choice. We're thinking... Oh, this, you know, this, this can't be. She's gone. That's, that's, that's our, you know, that's our foul play. Our Mara is gone. 
And while her family and friends are trying not to lose hope... Mora's loved ones are interviewed by the media. They hope to get the news of her disappearance out to the public in case someone, anyone, can help. As long as I'm here, I want to use every minute. As long as, it, as, long as it's still daylight, I want to be out there. Driving east all the way to Maine, heading up north close to the uh, Canadian border. I'm getting more fearful by the hour. I'm, I'm scared and I'm desperate. It's not something we want to dwell on, but we're keeping, you know, we're trying to stay logical and, and rational. And it just appears that someone more than likely picked her up with, with bad intentions. I don't think she's able to contact us. There was no way that she would ever not contact us. No matter what, they still cling to hope that somewhere out there, Mora may be listening. Everybody's here looking for you. And uh, just call any one of us. We'll come right down and get you. Don't be afraid, please. I love you, Maura. Um, I miss you so much. Obviously, you know that. And the sooner that I get to see you and be with you again, you know, obviously, the better. So please, kid, if, you, if you're listening to me, uh, uh, we, can just, uh, we can just bang away at this stuff the same as we do all the time until we fix it. Meanwhile... Police search Mora's car, looking for some trace, some clue as to where she has gone. Mara's belongings were released to Billy. Billy brought her belongings back to the motel on Friday, uh, February 13th. She had her running clothes. She had a bag with her school books, which included her syllabus. Uh, so it shows every intent on doing her schoolwork while she was away. She had every intent on maintaining her, you know, her exercise regimen. Also found in Mara's car was a book titled Not Without Peril. It was a book chronicling different hikers that had gone into the presidential range of New Hampshire's mountains and they either never returned or they were badly injured. Book Not Without Peril was in Mara's car because uh, Mara and I climbed uh, in Mount Washington, and when you read the book, it mentions all these different trails and all, all the different adventures, some ending happily, some, some ending in, in death. You know, people have frozen to death up there. But for the most part, it's uplifting. Some people speculate, why was Mara reading this particular book, a book about hikers that go into the mountains and never return? But others say this was just one of Mara's favorite books. With nothing to go on but hope, Mora's family is determined to continue looking for her. During their search, Mora's sister discovers a disturbing potential clue. Women's underwear were found right down here, uh, more on top of uh, the ice than buried in it. We turned the underwear into the uh, state police, but never heard another word. There were some items of clothing that were turned into law enforcement. Um, we did forensic testing on those and were able to determine that they were not, in fact, um, belonging to Mara. After weeks of constant searching... I've searched all down through here. Devastated and exhausted, Mora's loved ones return home. I, I personally search any place that would have, that would be significant to her, that would be meaningful, that we went to a lot, that would be special uh, for Mara. And, and uh, but she hadn't been to any of those places. But witnesses are about to come forward, including one who claims to have seen the young Maura Murray. The young woman had her arms folded in front of her and seemed to be mouthing the words, help me. 
In the days and months after that fateful February 9th, 2004, when his daughter disappears from the scene of her one-car accident, Fred Murray hopes for answers, even though there seems to be no leads and no suspects. Fred, God has just really blessed him and giving him the strength, you know, at his age. He goes up there week after week after week, and he keeps searching the sides of the roads. He keeps searching the woods. Months after Mora's disappearance, Sharon and Fred decide to do more follow-up, investigating Mora's final cell phone calls themselves. It wasn't until Fred and I decided in the fall of 2004 that we were going to go back to square one and check some things out that I called uh, these phone numbers. Hello? I picked up the phone and it was Sharon. She had said that she obtained um, Mara's cell phone records and that I was one of um, the last people to speak with her and that she had gone missing. Linda and her husband own a condo uh, in Bartlett, New Hampshire. And Fred and Mara and Billy had stayed there um, in late summer of 2003. At the time that I learned this, I went online and this condo by the Salamones was the least expensive to rent. So I'm confident that that is why that Mara chose that one. This 12.55 p.m. call on February 9th, 2004, lasts three minutes. Unfortunately, Linda Salamone is unable to remember more about her conversation with Mora because she is contacted so many months afterwards. I felt like I might have been able to help at that time if I had just received a phone call. I could have said, yes, she sounded distressed or no, she was okay, and this is where she was heading, or whatever, any little bit. So then I felt very frustrated because I still, you know, felt I might have been able to help. One thing Linda is sure of, she didn't rent a condo to Mora that week. There was no way for her to get in. Um, We would have to give her the keys. We would make sure that we knew who we were renting it to. Fred Murray is frustrated with the lack of progress in the case. Fred has also filed a lawsuit against the, um, the state police of New Hampshire and the local police of New Hampshire trying to obtain the records, the documents pertaining to the Mara Mari case. My only relief would be the FBI coming in or getting the, uh, the release of the case records myself. And uh, neither one's going to happen because the state, the, the, the court system backs up the state police. Court decisions have ruled that records relating to the case cannot be released to the public, stating it would interfere with future law enforcement proceedings. At some point, um, we may get that piece of evidence which says um, that she was the victim of a crime. And in solving that case, you want to be able to have everything that you've done from the beginning to that point forward um, admissible in court if you have to go to trial. To add to the mystery and the frustration, reporter Maribeth Conway says she spoke to a witness who says she actually encountered Maura Murray, looking very distressed. She saw a young woman with an older man, a man probably in his 60s. The young woman had her arms folded in front of her and seemed to be mouthing the words, help me. The woman finally realized what was happening But before she really had a chance to do anything about it, the young woman and the man left. 
the woman did not get license plate numbers or any further of a description of this young girl. She swears that this young woman is Mara Murray. We've had reported sightings of Mara in Rochester, New Hampshire, in Vermont, in other states. We've always determined that it was not, in fact, Mara. The interesting thing about the Mara Murray case is that there are so many theories still to this day. Mara was possibly suicidal. She was possibly running away. She could also have been kidnapped. When the press releases came out about her being suicidal and all the other absurd theories, it was very hard to read. I mean, yeah, people can think what they want, but those that know her know that she was a happy person. There's no evidence of, of suicide. You're talking about a kid full of life with every possible thing to live for. She's getting out of nursing school. She's going to have a great job. She's getting ready to get married, got a whole future. You know, when Mara went missing, there were many things that were that were said. You know, one of the things was that, well, you know, Mara has run off with another boyfriend. And uh, Billy, you know, was confronted with this. And he said, I hope she has. You know, if she is with another um, young man, then she is safe. I think we never thought it would go past a few days. We just thought eventually she'd turn up and there'd be answers and maybe she'd have a great story to tell after the fact some adventure happened. Um, never thought that four and a half years later, five years later, we'd just have more questions than answers. So this is Mara's last email to the group of girls. Mora's friends feel her last email to them proves she was not planning any sort of long-term getaway. She writes, Dane Cook is playing at UMass, and we went to get tickets and it was sold out. I missed out again. But I did some research and he plays in Stores, Connecticut, February 12th, not too from UMass. She points out that it's February 12th, so it would be three days after she actually went missing. So to me, it shows that that's not someone who was trying to take off permanently. She wouldn't just make plans and then completely ditched them in our minds. We don't really know what happened to Mara. And though we learn more and more all the time, we don't seem to be able to solve this mystery. To date, um, we haven't been able to come up with that answer, but uh, it's certainly my hope, and I know the investigators working on this case, that we will one day have the answer for the family. Because I can't imagine um, what it's like not to know um, what happened to your daughter? I think some local dirtbag grabbed her. And, uh, and um, she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. In our minds, one of two things had to have happened tomorrow that night. And that was either she succumbed to the elements, which is possible, or someone harmed her. Because we, you know... We are convinced that with the items that were packed in her car and the fact that there was no note, she was not planning on taking her life. As the days have turned into months, and the months into years, Mora's closest friends still have trouble accepting the reality of her disappearance. She's missing everything. I mean, we graduated from college, and she missed it. We don't have any more pictures of her. It's 
hard. It's just hard to put into words. It's just one of those things you never, you hear in the news or read about, but you just never assume that something that happened to you or one of your friends. <laughs> Clearly it's been four and a half years and the emotions are still here. We don't want Mara to be gone. We want her to be out there starting a new life. But we have to face ourselves in the mirror and deal with what we know, the facts that we know. And now, after, you know, uh, all of this time, it's not just our minds that tell us that something has happened to Mara, it's our hearts too. However heart-wrenching the answer is, Mora's father refuses to give up searching for his daughter. I'm going to be up here all the time. I'm going to follow up any lead that a local gives me. I'm trying to do everything I can do. Uh, my conscience wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be able to stand myself if I didn't. I wouldn't be able to look at a picture of Mara if I knew, if I knew that I wasn't doing everything I could possibly do. <laughs> You know, and it's just whatever time I have uh, left, that's what, that's what I'm going to do with it. She was my buddy, you know, and I don't have my buddy. I'm just my buddy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.